Hello and welcome to the podcast of Lakeside Elizabethtown. We are located in 1801 Ring Road in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, 42701. You can call us at 270-769-1297 or visit us at our website at www.lakesideetown.com. Sunday morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study begins at 7 p.m. Come out and celebrate Jesus with a bunch of ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And now to today's sermon with Pastor Tim Nichols. So we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. What's really interesting about Ephesians chapter 1 is the prayer that Paul prays really sets up the entire letter. If we were to interpret the entire letter in light of Paul's prayer, then we would really catch the heart of this letter. So if you'll go with me to verse 15, I'm reading today out of the New American Standard Bible. And Paul said, For this reason, I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, and in the knowledge of him, I pray. Now, now pay attention to this. <clears throat> Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So Paul is not talking about physical eyes. Remember last week when Jesus said, if you have, how can you correct your brother who has a speck in his eye if you have a beam in your own eye? We talked about the physical impossibility of having a beam in your eye. So Jesus was obviously not talking about our physical eyes here. He was talking about having something that is obstructing our ability to see in the Spirit. And we talked specifically about offense and how offense can start off as a seed, but then it can take root. And today we're going to really focus on that root. But he goes on, he says, The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So Paul wants us to see for three reasons. Number one, so that we can see the hope of his calling. The hope of his call upon our lives. Do you realize that each and every person in this room is called to be an agent of the hope of Jesus? We are called to be spreaders of the hope of Jesus. The calling, his calling, it's not our calling, it's his calling on us. You know, the Bible says the gift and call of God is without repentance. We can't be uncalled. I don't care how, it's just like we cannot stop being a son. Even in hell, he called him son. There are those in hell that had a call in their life and they forsook it and they walked away from it. You cannot walk away from the call of God. You can't get away from it. It follows you everywhere you go, whether or not you serve him. It chased me for 20 years. More specifically, throughout my teenage years into adulthood, it chased me. I couldn't get away from it. I finally had to surrender to it. So the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, do you realize that He has an inheritance in us. We are his inheritance. We have a glorious inheritance. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ. So if we're co-heirs, that means we share in his inheritance. 
That's why it says that he is seated far above all principalities. And then a few verses later in chapter 2, it says we are seated in heavenly places in him. Because see, we share in his inheritance because we are co-heirs with Christ. If we could ever grasp that concept, a lot of us would have beaten ourselves up. You don't know one of my least favorite Christian sayings. I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. I hate that saying. Where in the Bible do you read that? How does Paul address Christians at the opening of every letter? Does he say to the poor old sinner saved by grace in Ephesus? He says to the saints of God that dwell in Ephesus. To the saints of God in Galatia. And if he was writing a letter today, he would say to the saints of God in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. We have to see that we are co-heirs with him and his inheritance is our inheritance. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So when we believe, his power is toward us, not away from us. And see, the thing is, so many people, we have heard it preached that Christians are supposed to be defeated and beat down and, and groveling at God's feet and begging for forgiveness and begging for healing, but that is not how the Word writes these things. We have to see these things as our inheritance because we share as co-heirs with Christ. And it says, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. That is talking about demonic forces. He emphasizes that in Ephesians chapter 6. You have to read the whole Bible to get any of it. Okay, you can't cherry pick verses and make them fit whatever thinking you like. You have to read the whole Bible in order to really understand any of it. And that is why we're doing this 90-day read. I'm just amazed at the people that are keeping up. And uh, I'm also proud of the people that have fallen behind but are still plucking on. Amen? Just hang in there. The goal is to finish, not to win and be the first one finished. I don't care how long it takes you to finish as long as you finish. Amen? 90 days is a goal, but you know what? If you don't make it, just keep plucking away. You will get to the end. You will get to that last amen, I promise, if you keep reading. It, it is there. Amen? And it goes on, it says, <clears throat> And every name that is named... Not only of this age, but the age that is also the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now there is a lot of power packed in those last two verses. Number one, everything is in subjection under Jesus' feet. That's why in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus had been given all authority. It says he's been given a name that is above all names. There's the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you realize that Satan himself will confess that Jesus is Lord? Do you realize every demonic force will confess Jesus is Lord? Everyone that has a voice will confess him. But it says he gave him head over all things, the church, which is his body. And then the last statement, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is the fullness of him. When we function as his body, 
Jesus is able to operate in his fullness on this planet. Think about this. Think of the Lord's Prayer. What does it say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, so when the church understands who she is and the children of God understand who they are and they understand that we're co-heirs with Christ and that we have an inheritance in him and that we're seated in heavenly places with him. We don't have time, but keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2. It says you're God's masterpiece. And it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. That means we are seated far above all rule, all principality, all authority, all dominion. That's why Jesus was able to say all Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. We've been commissioned. We've been deputized by Jesus to walk as his agents to bring his fullness to this planet. Jesus does not tell us and instruct us to pray prayers that are impossible to be fulfilled. He will not ask us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if it were not possible. The problem is the church doesn't understand who she is. She doesn't understand the hope of his calling. She doesn't understand the richness of his glorious inheritance. And she doesn't understand his power that is work at work toward us who believe. And see, that's what Paul was wanting the Ephesian church to see. I pray, he said, I see your love. I see all these wonderful things that you're doing, but I want you to be able to see. And one thing about the Word of God is once you get a revelation, you find it everywhere. You find it all over the place. And, and, and I have been dealing with that. But I want to keep you in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if every time you hear Ephesians chapter 4 come out of my mouth, you're probably thinking of the fivefold ministry, which was preached nearly every week in some way last year. But there actually is more to chapter 4 than the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry is designed to equip us to be able to see with eyes wide open. Now think about this. If we interpret all of Paul's letter, every letter or book in the Bible has a singular theme. You know what the singular theme of Genesis is? The redemption of mankind through a family. The family of Abraham who became a nation. And every single book in the Bible has a singular theme that ties to the previous book. The New Testament works exactly the same. Paul's singular theme in the book of Ephesians is that people's eyes would be opened. That is why he says everything he says in the letter, because it's for the purpose of opening spiritual eyes. So after this whole five-fold ministry thing, Here's what Paul has to say in starting with verse 17. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord, listen to this, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility, the blindness of their mind, being darkened, being blind in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And I, oh man, there's just so much packed in that. There is so much packed in that, it's hard to dissect. But he's basically, listen to this. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church in Ephesus. Who's he comparing them to? The lost. People that don't know Jesus. He's saying, look, you're at risk at being just as blinded as they are. Their minds are futile. Their 
understanding is darkened. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Listen, and they have become callous, given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And there's a big message in there we're just going to skip over. Here's what I want you to focus on. He says, but you did not learn Christ that way. He says, see, you're supposed to see. I love when Jesus said to the disciples, blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. You realize Jesus talked to a lot of folks, but only certain people saw and heard him. People whose eyes and ears were attuned to heaven. That's why it says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, because what you have your eyes fixed on, that's what you're going to learn to see. We'll get to that in a second, maybe. But it goes on, it says, but you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lust of deceit. And listen to this, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self. See, folks, the fact is to have spiritual vision, to be able to see in the spirit requires that you put on a new self. It requires your effort. You have to make a conscientious decision that today, Lord, I am going to put on the new man. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who considered it not robbery to be called equal with God, yet stripped himself of that and became humble to the point of death. In Corinthians, it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And see, that self has to be put on. Paul said, I die daily. That means that every day, it requires effort. See this lemon squeezy, easy peasy, uh, greasy grace that, that people are teaching about today that requires no effort on our part? That is a lie. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything to obtain it in and of ourselves, but it still requires our cooperation to take off the old man and to put on the new man. And see, we can't see the new man without our spiritual eyes. He goes on and he says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God that has been created in righteousness and holiness and in truth. So your new self, what's it like? It's like God. See, when you put on your new self, we are restored to Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. See, that's why it says in Corinthians that we can be transformed from glory to glory. See, we can grow and become more and more like him as long as we crucify the old man and put on the new man like a garment every day. And see, later on, he tells us how to put on the new man. He says to put on the whole armor of God, right? Truth, righteousness, the word of God, your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And I talked about that a lot last year too. And there's more to it, but for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. The book of Ephesians is packed it's my favorite New Testament book. It's probably why I get stuck in it all the time. It goes on and says, put on the new self. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak the truth to each other. 
each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And here's where I really want to hang on today. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, but I want you to make a mental note of these next two verses. It says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. And then he tells us how to not sin in our anger. See, Paul is a genius. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then he tells you what happens if you let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give opportunity to the devil. Or do not give the devil an opportunity. See, there's nothing wrong with anger. There are things that are unjust that should make us angry. Sometimes we get treated in a way that should make us angry. But see, the Hebrews, it's, it's, it's interesting because he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And you know, the Hebrew day ends at 6 o'clock when the sun starts going down. It actually ends at sundown, which is not at the same time every day. So he's basically saying, don't carry your anger into a new day. Deal with it. But oh, Okay, I'm going to finish and then we'll just get back to this because if not, I'll end up all kind of sidetracked. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, and he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no, no, ooh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And I'm going to tell you, I am one of the worst people about being a critic. I expected at least one amen. She's not biting. I'm one of the worst people about being a critic. And it's something that I am actively working on in my life to where the words that come out of my mouth are not unwholesome, but they are words that are good for the moment. It says, for edification according to the need of the moment. See, if you want to be able to see the need of the moment, you have to have eyes open in your spirit. Because sometimes we can, by mistake, crush people with our words when that was not our intent because we don't recognize the need of the moment. The wrong or the right word at the wrong time will perceive, be perceived as the wrong word. Amen? We can say the right thing, but if it's not at the right time, if it's not in the right season, if it doesn't fit the right need, it can be perceived as the wrong word, and it can cause damage. And see, now this is where it really comes home. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. So when we speak words out of season, or when we speak words that don't meet the need, that aren't edifying and building people up, it brings grief to the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of people act like that's behavior within the context of a church service. And, the, and, and yes, the Holy Spirit can be grieved within the context of a, of a church service. But this is talking about in our individual relationships, with our eyes wide open, able to see in the spirit realm, and, and being able to speak the right word in the right season to bring life to that person. And when we don't do that, it brings grief to the Holy Spirit. And then he closes it out, this chapter, with this thought. And this is really what I want to focus on today and back into verse 26 and 27. It says, let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God in Christ, also has forgiven you. Now, I've got so much stuff pinned up inside of me today that we may not get finished. And we'll just have to pick this up the next time I get the opportunity to preach. But it says, be angry. And see, that is what makes bitterness tricky. Because there is a difference between anger and bitterness. Because see, bitterness leads to wrath. Wrath is anger absolutely out of control. There is only one being in the world that is capable of wrath and still being within the realm of justice, and that is God. We are not capable of handling wrath. We always get out of control. And how is wrath accomplished in us? It starts with that seed of offense that is not dealt with. And see, that's why Paul is saying, be angry, but don't be offended. Because what is an offense? An offense is anger allowed to fester. And I know I'm not the only one. Somebody's made me mad. And I'm sitting in my room building my defense system. I'm crafting my speech with perfection. I've got every T crossed, every line dotted. This is going to be the most beautiful ripping of rear end that I've ever given in my life because they wronged me and I've had time to think about it. Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, don't do that. Rip it out at the anger phase. Because the trick of bitterness is the reason many of us are bitter is often a good reason. Someone has legitimately done something to try to hurt us. Someone has legitimately done something to try and defy us. Someone has legitimately done something unjust to someone we care about. So then we nurse that anger overnight. Right? Let me get to the point. And somebody else saying, Amen. Let us go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 17. And it says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification with which out, with, without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification just means your personal growth in Him. As we talked about earlier, going from glory to glory. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Okay, well, writer of Hebrews, how do we come short of the grace of God? That no root of bitterness, root, springing up, causing trouble, and by it many are defiled. And then he gives us an example. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. See, Esau was a man who allowed himself to get jealous and bitter toward his brother. And see, the reason many of us struggle with that is because Esau was right. 
Amen? He was right. Jacob was slick. Jacob was a tricker. And he tricked Esau. Esau was right. But I'm telling you what, folks, you can be right and still be wrong at the same time. Because when we get to a point where our rightness matters more than our relationship and our fellowship with that other person, when we get to a place where we want to see that other person destroyed because we're right, that's when we slip into bitterness. That's when it is no longer anger. That's when it becomes sin. And folks, sometimes we have to get to a place where we allow ourselves to be wronged. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. Now bitterness in the Greek here is the Greek word pakria. And what it literally means is a gall of bitterness. And if you've heard the word gall, you know there is this thing called a gallbladder. And the gallbladder is where that vial is filtered. The bile is filtered and it's consumed. What can be converted into energy is released into the system. What's very interesting, I just got finished reading the book of Job and it uses the word gall. Job was, was growing bitter. He compared his life with gall. But the gall of bitterness is more than just bitterness. It is the bile that is stored within bitterness. Help me, let, me, let me help make sense of this. Bitterness is like a storage unit. And gall goes inside of it. And gall can be that person that hurt you. Gall can be that thing that happened in your childhood. And what it's doing is it's trying to grow inside of you. It's trying to spread into your spirit, man. It's trying to poison you. Because if you notice in Hebrews, it said that no one falls short of the grace, let no root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. Because see, what happens is when you first drink poison, just like we talked this morning, a lethal injection takes four minutes on average to kill someone. So they get the shot, they seem okay for a few seconds. And that's when the system starts start shutting down. And see, the trouble with this kind of poison is slow poison. We can be infected with it, and we don't even realize it. There are some people, they block memories of their childhood because they're so traumatic. But it makes them behave in certain ways, and they can't understand why. There are some people that are extremely harsh. They're extremely judgmental. They're extremely angry. You can just see it all over them. Nobody likes being around them. And everybody that's around them is just poisoned by their hatred. And people that, that hang around, that's why the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. You hang around a bitter person, eventually they're going to defile you. And see, we've got to get to the point where we deal with the roots. Because pakria is not just bitterness, it's the gall that spreads. That's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because folks, if you don't deal with it while it's small, 
See, bitterness operates just like cancer. Starts off with this tiny little thing in your body that could be plucked out and cause no harm to you. But undetected, it grows. Then it begins to metastasize and it attaches itself to different organs. And at that point, it's stage four and you've got a problem. And there are some people, I would guarantee in this room, you've got stage four bitterness. And see, at that point, you've got to take out the source. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And see, when we become bitter, it's eventually going to penetrate our heart. It always baffles me when somebody will say a cuss word, oh, pastor, that slipped. That did no such thing. If a curse comes out of you, Jesus said a curse is in you. He said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Nothing slips out of your mouth that doesn't come from your heart. You can't speak anything that's not on the inside of you. So if you speak hatred towards your brother, in, in one of the Johns, I believe it's First John, it says that how can you say you love God yet you hate your brother? It says bitter and sweet water can't flow from the same well. Hate my boss. He's a slave driver. And he may be. And he may be in the wrong. But the condition of your heart is your responsibility, not your boss's. And some of you are in situations you need to get out of because it's not good for your heart. It's not good for your love walk. Every day it's a grind to you. Every day it's frustrating to you. And every day it just gives this seed a plant to take a chance to take root. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all things, for in it is the wellspring of life. Because see, that's what Satan is after. He's after your heart. That's why it says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, you can't confess, Lord, detached of your heart. It says Jesus, or it says demons believe in fear and trembling. But it's not attached to their heart. Satan wants the eyes of your heart to be blinded. He wants to take a small thing. And some, for some of you, maybe it was a big thing right off the bat. Doesn't matter if it was big or small. If you let a root of bitterness set up in you, it's going to cause problems. We've got to deal with the roots. There's a lot of things that could be a root, but I'm going to tell you one of the big roots in America is media. What we take in with our ears and with our eyes, the music that we listen to, See, if your music is, it contains cursing, if it contains ideas and concepts that are in rebellion against God, if you're watching TV shows that are constantly in conflict and sexual immorality, those things, you, you, oh, it doesn't affect me, Pastor. That is a lie. That is a lie. You can't take things into your mind and they not shape your heart. It's impossible. Guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. There are some of you, there are TV shows you need to stop watching right now. They contain language, they contain activity. See, the thing is, if I had company over to my house and had all my family gathered in the living room and they began to cuss and they began to fight 
And they began to take the peace that's within my home and put it in disarray. And then they began to disrobe each other and have sex right in my living room. I would throw them out of the house so fast. But you put them inside a 38-inch box. And somehow we find a way to justify it. It may be acting, but it's the same thing, folks. We got to get rid of the root. For some of you, maybe the root's something that happened in your childhood. Somebody hurt you. Maybe, maybe you've had issues with your dad. Maybe you've had issues with your mom. Maybe you had issues with a sibling. Maybe somebody hurt you in the worst possible way and they sexually abused you. Those things are awful, folks. But we can't allow it to cause us to be bitter. Because if we get bitter, then we can't recognize the hope of our calling. We can't realize the richness of God's inheritance. We can't recognize his power toward us that believe. We can't recognize that we're seated with him in heavenly places. And look, some of you have had some big bummers in your life. I've been there. I understand. I've still got a rocky relationship with my dad. I called him last week and it just went the same as it always does. And every time I talk to him, that seed tries to come back and that offense tries to build in my heart and I have to deal with it. And can I tell you how to deal with offense? The Bible says to be quick to forgive, to be slow to speak. We got to forgive. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, it's not like grabbing the brothers that have been fighting and slamming them and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about genuine, I'm going to let this go. And for many of us, forgiveness is a process. Sometimes we have to choose to forgive that same person for that same offense every day. See, that's why Jesus said, if your brother sins against you 70 times 7, you forgive them. But we got to deal with the root. I'm going to close with this thought. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18. So, so there, there will be no one among you, a man or a woman, a family or a tribe, whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God. So we're dealing with the heart. To go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. See, here's what Paul's saying. If the root is rotten, it cannot bear anything but rotten fruit. But then he says something else. He says wormwood. Now, one thing I've learned from Dr. Robinson is if you don't know what something means, it can usually be found somewhere else in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time, but they may put it on the screen. I don't know. But it says that there was a star that fell from heaven and it landed in the waters and a third of the waters became bitter. And it said that star's name was Wormwood. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something that may sound a little different to you. And please just give me just a couple more minutes. But it says, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. 
In the book of Revelation 12 verse 4, it says that the beast, which represents Satan, drew a third of the stars from the sky with his tail. And we know that a third of the angels fell. In Isaiah chapter 14, 12, Satan himself is called star of the morning. It says, how you have fallen, O star of the morning. So when you see in scripture a star falling, we are not talking about a physical star. We are talking about a principality, an agent of Satan at work to bring destruction to this planet. This wormwood is not a star. It is a principality and his mission on this planet is to bring bitterness. It shows you his ability to strike the waters and a third of them became bitter. Here's the struggle with bitterness. Is when we function in bitterness, we have enemy help. Wormwood. Wormwood is a spiritual force designed to bring bitterness to this planet. And when we become bitter, we are working in cooperation with him, and then we develop a spirit of bitterness. See what I'm saying? Open the eyes of our hearts, our spirit. Satan wants our spirit bitter. Because if our spirit is bitter, we become blind. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that I may have life. And some of you may be walking in this bitterness. And maybe today you've been contemplating and thinking about that. Here is the remedy. Forgive. See, forgiveness always finds the root. You may not even know where it is, but you just forgive where you are. It'll find its way to the root. God will open your eyes. He will show you the root so you can pull that thing up. And then we got to deal with it at seed stage. It's going to try to come back. Anybody ever pulled weeds before? And those things lay down those seeds even though you get it down to the root and there's like 10 of them next time. How'd that happen? It's because we didn't deal with them at seed level. We got to get rid of the seed. The seed, what is the seed, pastor? It's when that one person says something that rubs you the wrong way. And at that moment, you have to say, I forgive. My brother Quincy was sharing with me in my office. He said, nine times out of 10, it's actually just a misunderstanding. Folks, don't let a misunderstanding send you to hell. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, see, it starts off with an offense, then it takes root, moves into bitterness. Bitterness causes you to hate that person, and then you become so hardened toward them that your relationship can't be restored. Pharaoh was so hardened. He hardened his own heart four times before God ever jumped in and helped He saw signs, he saw wonders, he saw miracles, yet Pharaoh did not care. He was so bitter. The Pharisees were so bitter. Jesus was working miracles right in their face and they they didn't even care. 
they actually paid the Roman guards off to lie about the angel rolling away the tomb because they were so bitter. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know forgiveness is the answer. Paul told the Ephesian church, forgive even as if you've been forgiven. Folks, I have no right to hold a grudge because God had the ultimate right to hold a grudge and he didn't. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I did everything I could to shake my fist at God. But yet, in a dank old parking garage, a man asked me, why do you cuss and carry your Bible? And I said, because I don't see a church that looks like the one that describes where he says, I know one. And I'll meet you there that Sunday. Beth and I came that Sunday, and Larry, you, you, you weren't there that day. But he came the next week, and he's here today. And I would like to honor Larry Bryant in the back there. Was a key component in leading me to Jesus. I've talked about him often, so there he is in the flesh. Awesome to see you here, my friend. And God has a call on your life. He has a purpose for you. And I don't know where you're at in that. And I don't know what your current status is with him. Say again. Yeah, well, come on. I'm going to ask the ministers to come. He said he needs to surrender. How long has it been since you've been in church, brother? Second time in 20 years. Yep, but the thing is, you know what I used to be and what I ain't anymore. So you've seen the power of God at work in my life. And you were a catalyst in, in, in that happening. And see, I don't believe it's an accident that you're here today. I don't believe it's an accident that a couple years ago we bumped into each other. I don't remember if it was on Facebook or somehow you got my number. But there is tread on the tires, my brother. There are more people just like me that need the heart that you have. There are men and women on this planet that are ready to hear what you have to say. There there was something about your approach with me. Because, I mean, I could have easily gave you some of those cuss words. I I probably did. But the thing is, you calling me on that transformed my life. See, God used you as a catalyst, and it would be a shame for you not to finish the rest of your life living out your purpose. And now I know where you need to be. And I'm I'm speaking into your life right now, Larry, that God has more people that he's called you to reach. There are more people that need to hear what you have to say. And when you get to the place, see, and the thing is, you've got to stop. You've got to stop this whole, I'm not worthy, I can't do this thing. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is not wanting you to clean yourself up to come to him. He's wanting to come 
into your life and he wants to help you. See, the, the reason I, I, I jokingly say I quit drugs 491 times, but on the 491st time I had help and his name was Jesus. And I know Jesus because you made an effort to call it an inconsistency that you saw. A young man that was in a, in a battle. So I'm going to ask you all to surround Larry. And we're going to pray for you today. And Father, I speak against anxiety. I speak against self-condemnation. And Lord, I am so thankful for this opportunity. This opportunity to pray for a man that prayed for me. Believe in a man that believed in me. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that this would be Larry Bryant's last day being defeated. It would be his last day struggling with the substances that he struggled with. That there would be complete freedom over him right now. Father, this is the season. This is the time. He drove 40 minutes to get here, Lord. And I believe it's because you're going to do a work in his life. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we speak wholeness over his heart, over his mind, over his spirit, healing over his body, and everything that you provided for him, Lord, that he'd be willing to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. I want a few to continue to minister to him. But maybe there's somebody else, and you just say, Pastor, I've let a root get out of control, and I've got to deal with it now. I want you to come. See, Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, Christians. And he was telling them, don't let these things defile you. Folks, hurt is real. And hurt's hard to manage. It's hard to manage. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus and you can manage it. Hallelujah. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up Sister Cynthia. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to her heart. Lord, we know that she's a jewel of a woman. But we also know that the enemy would love to penetrate every heart in this room and bring corruption. So Lord, we thank you that you can bring reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, and honor. And Lord, we praise you for the goodness of you that contends with us even when we're struggling. And Lord, I pray for every root, not just what Cynthia is dealing with, but with us in this congregation. Lord, I pray for the root in my childhood that tries to resurface every time I talk to my father. Lord, I pray that you'd bring healing and wholeness to that situation. Is there anybody else in here that you have strained relationships with a parent or a child? I just want to see your hand. You don't have to come up. You have a strained relationship with a parent or a child. Yes. Yes. I want you to know that even if they are still actively hurting you, you can still forgive. Right now, I want you to do that in your heart. Right now, I just want you to release all penalty. Everything that person deserves, just release it right now. In Jesus' name, release it. I was talking to Tayshaun the other day, and we were talking about forgiveness. 
and we came up with this interesting thought. Forgiveness does not always mean the relationship will be fully repaired. Relationships may never be the same. But you still forgive. Even if the relationship's never repaired, you still forgive. You still let your heart remain pure. And folks, if you have to do it every single day, every five minutes, every 12 seconds, every moment that you're awake, if you have to breathe forgiveness to the person that has hurt you, you keep doing it until that root is pulled out. Forgiveness is like rain that softens the dirt and makes that root easier to pull out. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you're softening our hearts, Lord. And Lord, if I've hurt anyone in this room, Lord, I, I, I ask you to just bring forgiveness. Help us not to hold grudges, Lord. Help us not to let the sun go down in our anger. Help us to recognize when the enemy is in operation through people that we love or through people that maybe we don't even like. You know, the Bible does not say we have to like everyone. The Bible does say we have to love everyone. Some people are easier to love than others. But we're still responsible to love. So Father, in Jesus' name, help us to love. We thank you for your grace. process. It's a process. Today is another opportunity to do what you've done hundreds of times. I need some ladies, some women of God, some mamas to come and pray with this young man. There you go, the church mama. Now I want to, before we dismiss, I want to speak of some confusion that the enemy will try to cause in your heart. Because see, while you're pulling that root out, while you're in the process, sometimes the enemy will try to bring remembrance of that situation. It'll cause hurt. And then when that hurt comes, the enemy will try to say, see, you didn't forgive. See, look at you. You're still, no, you're not. Don't take the bait. He's lying. He's lying. So when that comes, then you just forgive again. And say, Lord, has hurt his back, and I'm not going to let it take root. I'm not going to let it take root. I forgive again. Forgiveness sometimes is a process. Somebody steals a dollar from me, and they're sorry. Like, eh, no problem, man. Somebody steals 10 grand from me. I'm going to have to work on that a few times. Right? I'm going to have to work on that a few times. And that's all right. Don't let the enemy beat you down just because you've got to work on it a few times. See, the size of the hurt will determine the amount of times you have to forgive before the root is fully pulled out. You just keep on forgiving. Every time you see them, when that root tries to... See, our former pastor hurt me. 
I don't share this often because it's a little close to home. But every time I saw him, something would clinch up in me. And every time that thing would happen, I'd go up and shake his hand. I would do whatever it took because that thing can't take root in me. If it takes root in me, it's over. Because see, I can't hate a person without ultimately hating all people. Because every person was made in the image of God. Not to mention that person had office over me. If I hate that person, I in turn hate that office. And when I hate the office, I can no longer receive from that office and I carry that office. And I can't carry an office I cannot receive from. The enemy wants to destroy your purpose. He wants to keep you ineffective and unfruitful. There's some of you, maybe, maybe you've got to go and, and, and that is perfectly okay if you want to slip out, but I want to let altar ministry continue. Maybe there's some of you, you need to come and just lay some stuff at the altar. See, Jesus said, Elder Robinson, if you come to church and you bring your gift, and as you're bringing that gift, you remember there is an offense between you and your brother. He said, you go and you make it right. Then you can offer your gift. See, we can't even properly worship God when we're carrying offense. So some of you, we've got to make some stuff right. Maybe you, you were the one wronged. Sister Carolyn's statement, a wise woman, once told me there are three sides to every story. That confused me. Well, you mean there's three sides to every story? She said, there's your side, there's their side, and then there's the truth. If somebody's hurt us, we probably contributed in some way. Amen? Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume that they didn't mean to do it. And even if they did, forgive them anyhow. Extend your right hands forward. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May we be people that are quick to forgive, that are slow to speak, that do not let the sun go down on their anger. Lord, help me never to go to sleep mad. And if I do, if I wake up mad, help me to deal with it. Lord, help us to recognize your grace and your mercy in our own lives. You are a God that could have held a grudge. And you'd have been just. You'd have been completely fair. But you didn't. You forgave us. So Lord, help us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Lakeside E-Town. God bless you, and we hope to see you next week.